This podcast is not intended to serve as therapeutic advice or to replace any professional treatment. These opinions belong to us and do not reflect any company or agency. Hi, this is Matt. And this is Wendy. And welcome back to the United States of PTSD. And today we will be talking about... Unprofessional professionals. professionals. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a great topic, right? Because there are so many. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but you know, as I was saying earlier, I mean, I do think it's, you know, product of how overworked people are too. Not to necessarily excuse bad behavior, but... No, but I think that's a very valid point. You know, we have understaffed places that are functioning at max capacity. So, I mean, of course, there's going to be things that happen. But so since um, you shared about your trauma last time, I want to share some trauma that I experienced with a professional and it's going to be a therapist. So I have been of the belief that if you're going to be if you're going to be doing the work with somebody, you better have done it yourself. So when I started, I got into counseling and I was in counseling for a good 15 years with the same therapist. And I want to start off by saying that we did a lot of good work, so I don't want to take that away from her. I mean, okay. in that 15 years, I would say 13 of the years, we did some really great work. I found her incredibly helpful. I worked through a lot of stuff, and I gave her a lot of credit for it. Somewhere around the 13-year mark, um, there was something she did that I found really traumatizing and triggering in therapy. And anybody who's a professional, I want you actually to particularly pay attention to this. Because she she was a private practitioner, she did the practice out of her former house that her ex-husband lived into, which I lived in, which I will get to in a minute. All of this is important. I, I know it, it is. It's all it's it seems convoluted, but it's all it's all important and part of the story. You know, she had a very small caseload that she pretty much like hand selected, I guess you could say. And she didn't take insurance because she was not licensed, which I found out later on, which not is not necessarily a bad thing. Because again, I don't want to take away from the fact that she was helping. So anyway, somewhere around the 13-year mark, one of the things she started doing was comparing me to her other clients. So she would say things like... What? Yes. She would say things like, you're not as connected as all of the other people I've been working with. And, you know, we've I've been seeing you all about the same amount of time and you seem a little bit more resistant. And, you know, it was really kind of doing this whole, you need to kind of do more. Which, you know, obviously you do want to push clients, but not in a way that you're comparing them right. to, oh like, my gosh, other people. Right? Oh my gosh, this isn't Survivor. Oh no, this this gets worse, trust me. There was, a, there was a part of me, and kind of like, you know, what you were talking about during the last episode is, you know, because it's a professional, you know, you start to think, okay, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. You know, and one of the things I was acutely aware of as a therapist myself was I didn't want to be that person, like the doctor who's a terrible patient. I didn't yeah. want to go and be like, oh, I'd be doing this, and you know, you're not doing that. So I tried to take it from an open mind, and I said, okay, so what can I do? And one of the things that she said was that I needed to check in throughout the week. Because that's what all of her other clients did. So they would leave her voice messages just kind of saying, like, I'm doing my homework. Here's the stuff I did as a way to be held accountable. So I thought, ugh, I don't really want to do that. But again, she kept kind of saying, like, you know, you're you're resistant, you're resistant. So finally I said, okay, I will do this. Even though I was kind of not thrilled about it. So I started checking in once a week and leaving her messages. And then it got to the point where it started to feel normal. And I was kind of letting my guard down. And then one day at my job, she sent me an email, at my work email, that said, FYI, I'm raising my rates. So when you come in, you know, we need to talk about the rates going up. Now, she was already charged. 
it, she was already charging more than licensed people were getting for, you know, through insurance companies. Okay. So already I was a little bit like, look, I'm paying out of pocket. Right. I'm not going through my insurance company. This is getting kind of expensive. I don't really know if I can afford to be going as much as I am going. So I said to her, okay, when I, when I, when I see you, we're going to have to talk about like how frequently I'm coming in because I don't know if I can afford that. I had also just bought a house. Her response was, then you need to stop checking in because you're checking in more than my other clients. What? And I'm listening and I'm spending all this time listening to these, these messages and it's, you know, I'm not getting paid for it. So therefore, I have to charge you more. All right, I'm going to ask you to back up. Just yeah, you can ask me to back up. <laughs> back this trail. Yeah, I will. So, how long were these messages? I don't. I mean, obviously, I, I don't know if I remember that because this was. I, I they weren't more than like two minutes long. I would imagine. But not like fifteen. No, to no, not like minutes. fifteen. No, not at all. And they, you know, obviously, they didn't require callbacks. I was doing exactly what she told me to do. I was checking in and saying, "Okay, this is what's happening." Which she so, like berated you. To which do, she but, shamed okay. me okay. into doing. And you know, part of the reason why I was going and her diagnosis of me was PTSD, but mine was more kind of like childhood PTSD from random, you know, different things. Good old childhood. You know, like a little old gay boy growing up in the uh-huh. <laughs> you know, in the eighties and nineties, and you know, my dad not being around and all of that stuff. So. I, I responded back to her and I said, we need to talk about this, but you cannot email me about this at my job because like, you know, I'm working for a major company. They read these emails. So I don't want you putting clinical information about right. me or anything like that in these emails. You would think that she would not respond to that. You would think, right? No. Instead, I got a response saying that I was taking out my childhood trauma on her and that <gasps> I was really angry about my mom and that I was just transferring this on to her. So now at this point, I'm really like, you know, F you. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I kind of sent a firm letter, an email back and said, do not respond to me at all ever again at this email. And then I thought about it. And I said, I can't go back and see her. So I fired her. I called her up and said, you know, I'm not coming in. I don't want to see you anymore at the end because I was so upset about it. But working with other therapists, I had, you know, I had talked to them about it. And they basically, and they had valid points. They said, look, you had a 13-year relationship with a therapist. You don't just kind of abandon ship. You're like, you go in and you talk about it so that you can get closure. Okay. You know, because it's really about you. And I was like, yes, and everybody's human. We all make mistakes, sure. So I went in. We processed it, and she was not particularly great about ever owning anything 100%. So she she owned a little bit of it and then kind of did a fair amount of, you know, but for you did this, so this is why, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Needless to say, our relationship was never the same after that. And I had a hard time trusting her, but I did decide to continue to go back because I had this very long relationship with her. She knew everything about me. And, you know, as a side note... I had actually just found my dad, found out I had all these brothers. And, you know, so I really did need the support because I was reconnecting with, you know, family I never knew. And it was obviously a very stressful time. I bought a house. I just got out of a bad relationship. So, I mean, it was all these things kind of happening at once. So I, I stayed. Fast forward about a year later, everything is going okay. Right? Nothing. I, I think at this point I was a little bit kind of checked out a little bit. She was encouraging me to start a meetup group because I was having problems meeting other people in the community and all this stuff. So she really pushed me to do that. Now I want to go back a second to talk about her personal life because this does apply to the story. So remember how I said she was practicing out of her ex-husband's house? 
Yes. <clears throat> okay. So par- what ended up happening was when I first started working with her, she was married. She got divorced. And she got divorced and she said it was because, one, her husband turned out to be gay. So I don't know if that was the cause of it, but I knew that that was part of it. Okay. Um, she had also talked about her partner a lot. And one day I had asked her, you know, you've talked about your partner for years. Like, does your partner have a name? You know, kind of thing. And then she disclosed she was dating a woman, but made it very clear she wasn't a lesbian. And kind of put that, like, I'm not a lesbian and I know you think I am. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, I didn't say that, nor was I thinking that. Maybe you have an issue here. (laughs) You know, but again, you know, you don't necessarily, when you are the client, you don't always necessarily think of those things. The reason why I'm saying that is because I started this, this group for single gay men in the area so that I could start networking with people and her husband, her ex-husband joined my group. And at first I didn't realize it was her ex-husband because she had been divorced and her name had changed. So, you know, I kind of forgot it. And then I, I don't know, I was, I was looking at the list of people and it kind of clicked and I thought, oh my God, this is her ex-husband. And this is a very Rhode Island thing. Yeah, it's a very Rhode Island thing, For those of you out there, Rhode Island, (laughs) like you cannot walk into a grocery store without knowing someone. Right. So it's a very small and incestuous state. Yes. It's an excellent way to put it. <laughs> well, very it sorry. Continue. It is. So, um, you know, I thought, well, I don't know how to handle this because I don't know if I should just, e- you know, email him and say like, hey, look, I know you're my therapist's ex-husband. I don't feel comfortable with you being in the group. You know, he, I clearly wasn't going to let him stay in the group, but I just didn't know how to handle it as far as like how to approach him. And I, I, this was on a Friday, I want to say, and I saw her on a Monday or Tuesday. So I just want to kind of to give her the heads up. So I called her up and I said, just an FYI, I need to talk to you about how to handle this because, you know, he just joined the group. I didn't really know how to handle it. So, you know, can you help me brainstorm about that? Wendy, she called me back and left me two four-minute messages back to back that basically said things like, I don't feel comfortable with him joining the group and I just want you to know that he's not really single. He's cheating on his boyfriend and he's in this relationship and he's been in this relationship forever and you have to kick him out and you have to do this and you have to do that. Personal information (laughs) from Batman. I know. So I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, what the hell? Like, one, it's none of my business. And two, like, this is not your therapy session. Like, at this point, you should be paying me. I was just going to say, are you charging her? (laughs) You know, I should have. I should have. So I was really overwhelmed by it because it was literally back to back. And it was basically like, you need to do this. You need to do that. And here's all this information. And it made me really uncomfortable. So I called her up. And and granted, on my part, it was a little bit impulsive. And I had left a message. And I said, listen, this is the second time you've crossed the line. And I don't need to know about your husband, your ex-husband's sex life. And I most certainly don't need you dictating what I need, what I need to be doing, nor leaving, you know, eight minutes worth of messages on my phone. That is my business line because now it's just, you've crossed so many boundaries. Like, I don't even know where to go with this. And I basically was like, you're fired. Don't call me. Like I revoke consent to you for, to treat, et cetera. You know, this whole thing. And she didn't call me back. And I thought, okay, that was great. I took care of that. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize, and this is why, again, if you're a practitioner, this is super important how traumatized I actually really was by that because I started having nightmares. I was having nightmares for weeks about her and about her like betraying me and, you know, the fact that I was grieving this relationship that I had for all of these years with somebody who knew everything about me and then basically used it in a really inappropriate way towards the end. And that turned me off. But it also traumatized me. Like, yeah. it really kicked up a lot of stuff for me that I didn't even know was there. 
and I, you know, what, what could I do about it? I mean, I know a couple months later I did email her and I basically just said, look, I'm grateful for all the work you did with me and I, I can't take that away from you. But I do want you to know what you did was incredibly inappropriate and, tra- and like traumatizing. And this is kind of therapy 101. You don't do this stuff. Right. So that was how that went. And then there was another one. Wait, stop. <laughs> yes, there was another one. So I took a break. I, I took a break for about two years. And then I decided, okay, you know what? I'm going to go back. Not because I needed it or not because I was feeling like any kind of critical stuff happening, but just because I think it's a good idea. Like, I think everybody should really have some sort of therapy. So I found a guy, stupid, of course, I picked him because he was cute, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm just going to be honest about that. Own it. Own it. I love it. And, you know, there's a part of me that thought, okay, I had a female therapist for all these right. years. I'll, Why you know, not I'll pick a male therapist and see how this goes. It started off, you know, relatively okay. I didn't think he was actually that great, but he wasn't terrible. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, he was helping me process what happened with that therapist. And, you know, we were kind of working through, you know, different things I was struggling with at the time. He was also really forthcoming about a lot of stuff. And one day he made a comment to me that, you know, as a trauma survivor yourself, you know that you you pick up on things that might be body language or tone of voice or things that you can't necessarily articulate, but you think something wasn't right about that. And I had that experience. And I don't remember what it was he said, but he said something and I thought, that didn't sit well with me. Yeah. He had also made a comment about something he posted on Facebook. I got home and, of course, I decided... To go on I'm going to go find him on Facebook. Yeah. I mean, he disclosed he was on Facebook. Something about what he said didn't ring with me. So I, I looked him up on Facebook. And I found he had posted a rant that was not only sexist, but homophobic. And it was stuff that you would expect to hear in middle school. I mean, it was really wildly inappropriate. Ugh. I, you know, I, so I confronted him on it and I emailed him and was like, I saw that you posted this on social media, which is public information. Right. You know, you may have changed your last name, but you weren't really that hard to find. And I cannot see somebody who is posting these awful, horrific things on Facebook. And his response back was basically, you know, I was hanging out with some of my friends and, you know, when I'm with my friends, I don't always think, you know, I should have never posted that. No, I hate social media, but, oh you know, it was really a pleasure working with you. <laughs> and, you know, I think you're really great and blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking people pay you <laughs> right. to, to help them out. It's you, okay because he was going to go to college. It's right. fine. You, you yeah. can't. You, you, <laughs> <laughs> he was going to go to college. Right. Everything was so going to be okay. great. You know? yeah. But, you know, you can't, I mean, you can't, if you can't work on your own stuff, like, what are you going to do with these people, you know? So, you know, again, we go back to what we talked about in the last episode, trauma-informed care. If you are going to be practicing therapy with people who are traumatized, you better make sure you're not re-traumatizing them. Um, that seems to me like basic, oh my god. You know, and then retrospectively, like, I realized, you know, you always look back, hindsight's twenty twenty. And I realized with the first therapist I had, there was actually a couple of warning signs that she was crossing some lines. Like, I remember one time, if my mom's listening to this, she's not going to be happy about this, but <laughs> there was there was one time where when That'll I... That'll be in a future episode. <laughs> I, I, I was living with my parents, and she had called my house, and my mom had answered the phone, and my 
the, my therapist had said, you know, it's Matt's therapist or whatever. And my mom said, it's not my fault. You know, the very next time I went to therapy, my ther you know, she was basically like, your mom has borderline personality disorder. <gasps> and like, you was diagnosing my mom, somebody she's never met, which is again, it's unethical. You're not, you can't do that. Uh, that's one of the, you know, one of the main reasons why therapists get in trouble is for diagnosing people they never met before. She would die on that hill. And she, every time I saw her, she would be constantly trying to pit me against my mother. And like, you know, it, it was just, Stop. Oh, oh no, I'm dead serious. Okay, so commercial break. Yeah. There is, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm actually in middle school right now. Um, so <laughs> there was a therapist that my son had seen for a while. He moved on to a different therapist, but we had done a lot of like mom and son therapy. I don't know, like family, family therapy. Family therapy. Um, and because it is all my fault, she agreed to see me okay. and I had asked my son and it, so, but she would say, he would ask about my son and say, oh, you know, I think I might've been off base when I diagnosed him with XYZ and now I think it's like she would share things like she was trying to continue the relationship as though she was still meeting with my son instead of with me. Oh, so she wasn't meeting with your son at all. No. Oh, so she she had gone. Oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, that was really. No, no. I mean, I mean, but like. <clears throat> so she was sharing information that was not helpful, and she really wasn't maintaining his <laughs> yeah, confidentiality no. either. So, no. I mean, that's yeah. Right, not great. Yeah, you know, like, oh, you know, you're not supposed to uh, diagnose anyone with borderline personality disorder, but that's what he has. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> that's quite a statement. Yeah, it's quite a statement. So you know, ridiculous. Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. So you know, I, you know, I go back to kind of seeing those those red flags. In different areas. And, you know, I made excuses for it because I've been seeing her for so long. And because, you know, I did, I do think she did some things that are really well. But it goes back to what you were talking about last episode about going to the hospital. Right. So you're, you're in a very vulnerable position. And, you know, I know one time I was hearing somebody talk about going to the doctor for a physical. When you think about it, you're, you're disrobing. Mm-hmm. So you're physically vulnerable. You don't have any clothes on. You have that like really awful paper Johnny that there's you know they're giving you yeah. now, and then somebody comes in who is on paper over you academically because they are a doctor and they've gone to medical school, which can be really intimidating. So you're intimidated on all these different levels, and it's hard to do self advocacy. If yeah. you think something's going wrong on, on many different levels, because again, you are trained to think that they know everything because they're the experts and they can't be wrong. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> so Matt, are you saying? Yes, Horshack. <laughs> <laughs> um, so are you saying um, that maybe the societal constructs that we are given to eat for breakfast uh-huh. were part of your was part of why I responded the way I did yes so it's interesting and this is going to apply listeners make a note of this (laughs) this is going to apply in pretty much every topic we talk about where I look at it like a pendulum we see the pendulum swing from one side to the other in many different issues so the one we're talking about right now I think it, it used to be 
experts knew everything. Like you don't question experts at all. If a doctor mm-hmm. is telling you this, then it's a hundred percent fact. We have now swung to, they don't know what they're talking about. Like anybody with a degree doesn't matter and they're all stupid. And like, I did my research and I know what's online, but we have swung to the exact opposite end of the spectrum. Yes. It, and again, this is with every single issue we're going to talk about is this, this kind of polarity where most people, I think professional people and, you know, people who are seeking services need to be somewhere in the middle where, you know, the person that you're dealing with is hopefully well-trained and knows what they're talking about while also recognizing that they're fallible and that they make mistakes and that sometimes you do know what's best, you know, regardless of how much training somebody might have. I think that's one of the keys of existence, recognizing that you're fallible. Yes. I mean, I've, as a clinician myself, I've, I've made mistakes many, many, many times. And I'm actually kind of glad because that's how we learn. If we don't make mistakes, we're actually not growing. Right. It's how you handle the mistakes. When a client comes to you and says, you know, hey, you really offended me when you said this. A professional response and usually my response is, I did not, you know, I'm sorry. Like, tell me what happened. And then you try to fix it and you try to say like, okay, thank you for sharing that with me. I will make sure that I don't do that again. And kind of here's where I was coming from. Not this um, kind of defensive, like I didn't do anything wrong kind of thing. So another example of why you have to, why you you need to advocate. Well, I should say we, because I'm part of this too. We need to advocate for ourselves and that it's not always easy to do while remembering that they're, you know, professionals are fallible is so I, I shared this with you earlier. I was on blood pressure medication for a misdiagnosis for years. And what ended up happening was I was dating somebody who is a clinical nurse specialist. And he said to me, you have sleep apnea. So I went to my doctor, who I subsequently have fired. And I'm very happy about this. It did take me a long time to fire him. Because again, the power discrepancy. What? And, you know, there's a shortage of finding good doctors. And you don't want to go from like bad to worse. And he was actually the third doctor I had because I had fired the two previous ones for really unprofessional behavior. So anyway, so I, I went to my, my physician and I said, look, my, you know, the guy I'm dating, he's a clinical nurse specialist. He said, I have sleep apnea. You know, I think you should send me out for testing. And do you know what he said to me? He said, and I quote, nurses aren't doctors. What? And you don't have the, the neck for sleep apnea. I'm not sending you out for treat for you a test. You don't have the neck. <laughs> That's what he said to me. Oh my god, that is going to be my new saying, please. So, oh, I am so, I'm sorry. He said you don't, you, have the neck. you don't have the neck for sleep apnea, so I I don't trust you know this guy's opinion because he's not a doctor. I'm the doctor. Okay, so I'm gonna commercial break. <laughs> commercial break. So I have worked for a company. Where they fulfill prescriptions. And um, I've got Bambi, like Bambi's mom in my head. Like, you don't have anything nice to say. Don't say anything at all. Oh, no, that was Thumper's mom. Anyhow. so But look what happened place. to Bambi's mom. She got shot. <laughs> Lessons learned. <laughs> Turns out she didn't have a neck for that. So, so they're going to be able to like prescribe them at your local pharmacy any day now. That's happening. Mm -hmm. So, continue. Sorry. I just. No, no worries. That's. 
What? It, yeah. Now, to, to go back, at this point, just to kind of put it in perspective, I was on three different blood pressure medications because my blood pressure kept rising. Oh, my God. And he was just giving me more medication. And, of course, it was the, you need to lose weight. You oh. need to lose weight. You're obese. <laughs> or whatever. Right. Even though I'm not. But anyway, in this country, everybody is. Yeah, I was just going to say, technically, just, definitely, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have the neck for that. So uh, that was kind of the, the straw for me. And there had been plenty of things before that. But that was the straw for me. So I went to, I found another doctor and the doctor was basically like, what's the big deal? We'll send you out for testing. Like, if you think that, like, okay, we'll send you out for testing. Lo and behold, (laughs) I had sleep apnea and shocking. And, you know, I went on the CPAP machine and literally Wendy, within like two weeks, I was off all my blood pressure medications that I never needed to be on. Oh my God. (laughs) So again, it's. These are people who their their opinions, their biases, their experiences are going to shape their practice. And him and I were polar opposites as far as every arena of our life. I think he didn't like me. And I think he just, you know, kind of looked at me like, you know, whatever, who cares? You know, I'm just going to, I'm the, I'm the expert, you are not. And it took a lot. I mean, as an educated person myself, it still took me a lot to say, okay, I'm going somewhere else. You know, and again, it was it was because of all the barriers, like, accessibility this is the third bad doctor i've had am i going to get a worse doctor because they were progressively worse each one i went to so i thought you know this is just going to get worse luckily it didn't i have an amazing doctor right now i love her she's freaking awesome um she better not retire (laughs) (laughs) although she's really young so i don't think she's gonna retire anytime soon but you know the system is set up for us to not feel safe you know questioning people who have experiences you know medical degrees right you know unfortunately we can't again we have to live somewhere in that middle where they obviously know what they're talking about but they're human and they make mistakes and their opinions are obviously going to influence their practice so i think and i'm i i know i must have heard this somewhere but we're the experts in ourselves like we are yes you're the expert of your life yes Sometimes I'd rather not be. <laughs> but, but here we are. And I think that thinking that way at least gets me to a, a place where I can imagine an even playing field with A collaboration, doctors. you mean? Right, where you what? go... <laughs> what? Uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> Is it getting hot in here? Yes. No, you're absolutely right. And I think that in thinking of my uh, of my doctor now, whom I adore, she asks about my kids. Mm-hmm. Not because at one point she was their doctor, but because she knows that that is important to my health. Like my overall wellness, I focus on, on them. And that's, that's like a whole other podcast, like... Made for TV movie. Whole oh, thing. what's the topic? We'll but write what? it down. <laughs> what, what are we talking about in the oh, future? Um, <laughs> parenting is, a, but to be fair, parenting, parenting is such a hot topic because it's it's hard so for hot right now. <laughs> but it, it's hard for people to parent when oh all the systems are set up against them too, right? So oh, I mean, yes, pe- yeah. parents get blamed for everything, and yes. in reality, it's everything around them is failing, and they don't have the resources either. So, I mean, yes, 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 but. Parenting, yes, absolutely. Like I would, I am blessed to have amazing kids, 
Um, and I did tell them as they were growing up that they were getting a therapy fund and not a college fund because <laughs> I just wanted to be upfront with them. But yeah, it was definitely a struggle and my doctor knows that. So she knows to ask about my kids because that is part of how my makeup is. It's how she knows she's going to know if I'm depressed or anxiety levels are high or anything like that if something's going on with my kids. So she's really kind of connects to that part of me. It also shows that she's invested in you. Yeah. And she's actually cares about you. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I... I personally, and I tell my clients this all the time, I feel like when it comes to my job, I'm a really lucky person because I get to go to work every day and I get to talk to the most amazing people all day long and I get to see them grow and I get to see all this progress that happens. And I think that, and I, you know, I know my, my clients, I know their pets names, (laughs) you know, like, you know, I know everything about them because I think it's really important. If we're going to be effective, we have to build human relationships. And I'm not a doctor, so I can't speak to the doctor part of that, but I know as a therapist, the research pretty clearly states that it's it doesn't matter what theory you're using. The most important part is the relationship that the therapist has with the client and vice versa. I love that. And if, you know, you could be the most skilled therapist in the world, but if you hate the client and the client hates you, you're not going to make any progress. You could also be a completely crappy therapist, but if the, if the client loves you, and I mean in a professional yeah. way, and you have a really great relationship with them, they make might make amazing progress, even though you don't know what the heck you're doing, right? So, right. so it's all about that relationship is, you know, really critical. And I think for, for doctors, it's it's most probably the same way, right? Like you want to know that they care about you. You're not just a number walking in that they're looking at a chart five seconds before and like, who's this, who's this woman coming in, you know? Right. Now I'm thinking back on my doctor, because I definitely have had some unprofessional professionals. Yeah. Um, and I waited way too long like there were flags they were red they were like exploding things in the way like fireworks going firework. off. yes wendy don't go and i i didn't i actually ended this is a whole other thing but um i i ended up having to have emergency surgery while i was away on vacation because my doctor missed something for three years. Wow. Um, That's pretty intense. Yeah. So that was when I was like, you know what? Maybe I won't go back. <laughs> um, so before it gets to that point, do we just focus on like knowing that we're the experts on us? And if something's not feeling right, if something's crossing a line? God, this is, this is a really complicated, I think it's a good question. It's really complicated. So I think we have to get used to trusting our intuition, first of all. Yeah. Because we do, I think we separate ourselves from our intuition. And we'll we'll pick up on all these things and say like, oh, maybe it's in my head. Maybe it's in my head. And we kind of ignore that stuff. And that is, I think people do that regardless of their education level, regardless of their experiences. It's just something we've been trained to do. Like we don't listen to it. We gaslight ourselves. We, we absolutely gaslight ourselves because we've been gaslit our whole lives. So I mean, it, it's just your topic. It's just it's it's kind of ingrained. It's part of our our inner dialogue. We just we constantly you know do this this inner gaslighting. Um, retrospectively, like if I could go back in time and look at that scenario again, I what I think would have been the best thing for me to do was the very minute I saw something happening 
confront him on it and say this is this is really unprofessional because there was many of them and if his reaction did not appear genuine i think it would have been in my best interest at that time to say i like i'm not saying you anymore period and if i have to go through four more you know before i find the right doctor i'm just going to do that as much of a pain as it is but i think having worked in a hospital setting I remember one of my supervisors telling me, because obviously there are bad doctors everywhere, so we mm-hmm. saw some bad doctors in the hospital too, and I remember saying it's almost impossible to get a doctor in trouble. Like, they literally have to murder somebody wow. before you're going to get them in trouble, so don't even bother. And that was the message I heard over and over and over again from inside the healthcare system. And I, and I believed that. I was like, okay, well, there's nothing I can do that's going to change this, so I'm just going to you know, kind of go along my merry way. I have later found out there's lots of things you can do, whether or not they're effective. I can't attest to that, but you can do, for example, you can call your insurance company. And sometimes insurance companies actually have forms that you can fill out and submit a a complaint that only they see. So when the physician or whoever it is, the therapist, you know, whenever they're up for recredentialing, they can look at that and they can say, this person's had like 10 complaints. We're probably not going to recredential them. That's one route you can go. You can also file a, a, a grievance with the state. I can tell you from experiences that I've seen with people filing grievances with the state against their license that sometimes it takes years for that to actually go through. But it's still something that we can do. Mm-hmm. Word of mouth, obviously, is you, you tell other people about Absolutely. your experiences. Like this particular doctor that I'm referring to is a local doctor. And I tell every single person I see about that experience because I don't want him ever treating anybody like that ever again. And I only gave you a snapshot of what he did. I mean, he did some pretty awful things to the point like he actually even tried one time to convince me that my tattoo was incorrect and I needed to go get it fixed, even though it was not incorrect. I mean, and he knows I have anxiety. So he was always kind of like, you know, kind of playing on that. Really abusive. Honestly, I would honestly even say like sociopathic, you know, word of mouth is the best thing to do and just say like you can't. And I'm not diagnosing him, by the way. That's just an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a clinical diagnosis. And I'm not saying his name either. So um, it could be Joe Schmo. <laughs> you know, I, I think word of mouth is, the, is the, the best thing we can do by saying, you know, this is the experience I've had. Because they'll be more likely to pay attention to it. Now, obviously, people can change. And, you know, people make mistakes. And you don't want to ruin somebody's career if they make a mistake. But when you see something's habitual... And somebody continues to do something over and over again. I do think part of our responsibility as just people is to say something and say, like, you know, I've seen this happen. That's what I think the best approach would would be if it's possible. But again, if you if you have a, a background of trauma, it's really hard to confront people who are abusing you. Yeah. I know I had somebody one time tell me they were going to write a letter to a physician that had really done them a, a disservice. And, you know, my concern just therapeutically anybody anytime somebody says i'm gonna write a letter is there's no guarantee the other person's one gonna receive it or to read it and they could throw it away so as long as they're okay with that as long as you you write a letter and you're doing it for yourself and you're not expecting that there's going to be a miracle made from it i think that can be a great intervention to just kind of get it off your chest and say here's how you treated me this is what ended up happening but you may not get a response and you may not change anything but, so the miracle route, instead of writing something, can you chant something? Is there chant. some sort of mystical, straight to the miracle of changing the person? 
if you're sending a letter, you can't expect the miracle. So I'm trying to figure out oh. <laughs> how exactly do you get to the miracle. I don't know if you... I don't if, know if, you... if we find out, we'll tell you. Yeah, if... if... Yes, if that happens, we will tell you in a, in a later episode. But I yes. think that is, yes, you'll I, have to stay tuned. I, I'm not sure that that's a you know. No, I know. All right, at least gives me something to hold on to, which I think is the more we talk and about all of these different things, the m- more in control. Yes, and, and if I if I could get if I could have the listeners take one thing away from this because I think this part is really really important and this is why we're talking about this stuff is we go back to the self blame. So, for example, you saying it's my fault that this happened, and the reason why I'm sharing this is is again to show somebody who not only is fully aware of how the human brain works. I do this for a living, you know, with a with a master's degree, all this education, I still was unable to advocate for myself in those situations because of being gaslit. And, you know, and again, the trauma I've experienced as my own personal trauma and the trauma that people have, you know, that I've gotten from society, don't personalize it because it happens to everybody. Everybody has these experiences and it's okay. It's not your fault if you can't advocate in those moments because of trauma. And I think everybody needs to hear that. Say it one more time. Like, that was just really, and I've been moved this whole time, like not physically. Um, Are you sure? I saw you levitating a little bit. (laughs) Um, No, but I think that that's hearing someone say that Mm. as a clinician, you know all of the things. Yeah. And you're still not able to advocate for yourself in the moment. And that... Yes. And, and the reason why I couldn't advocate for it, just the same way that you struggled and, and every other person out there struggles is because of gaslighting is because of the belief that you're fundamentally doing something wrong, because if you weren't, this wouldn't happen to you. Yeah. And that's a huge problem because it, he was wild in both scenarios. I gave you, they were wildly unprofessional. And in both of those situations, I, I immediately, in the immediate time it was happening, walked away thinking I was doing something wrong. Even though academically, I can look at it and say, I know this is not right. I know what they did is wrong. But I still could not convince myself that it wasn't my fault for a long time. I mean, that doctor took me a good two years to get rid of him. So on the next episode, how to turn off the gas the, uh, yes, for that's gaslighting. A, yes, that's a... That that is probably something we could talk about for ten episodes. Yes, <laughs> it's gaslighting. Honey, my life so, alone. <laughs> and, and as soon as we figure out how to get feedback from listeners, we will do something yes. so that you guys can submit, you Absolutely. know, questions to us or things that we can talk about. Awesome, but Thank Wendy. You guys it's been a pleasure as always. I love you. <laughs> I love you so much. I love you too, Wendy. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening.